Welcome to Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. I'm Kent Lampert. Each week, we'll bring you a sampling of some of the best Catholic podcasts being prepared and shared out there on the internet. We've got a jam-packed show this week, so let's dive right in with our first selection from Ascension Press. This is your Catholic Bible Study Podcast with host Jeff Cavins in an episode titled, What is the Most Quoted Bible Verse in History? You're listening to The Jeff Cavins Show, episode 218. What is the most quoted Bible verse in history? Hey, I'm Jeff Cavins. How do you simplify your life? How do you study the Bible? All the way from motorcycle trips to raising kids, we're going to talk about the faith and life in general. It's The Jeff Cavins Show. Thank you for joining me again. Uh, We're going to have a good time today because we're going to be looking at the most quoted Bible verse in history. And maybe you've quoted it. No doubt you've heard it. But which one is it? That's what we're going to talk about uh, here today. Hey, I've got a uh, a lot of comments from people asking about the pilgrimage to the Holy Land with Father Mike Schmitz and myself. That's right. This year in June, it was canceled for the second year in a row because of COVID. But Three strikes. No, we're not going to get that, are we? Because we're doing it next year, next June of 2022. We're going to take a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. Father Mike Schmitz and myself, along with some tremendous singers, Ali Aliyah, Taylor Tripodi, the Swaffords. It's going to be good. So go to my website, jeffcavins.com, get all the information. Make sure you get your place on that pilgrimage. It's June of 2022. 22. Okay, so we're talking about the most quoted Bible verse in history. And I asked last week uh, if you knew what that was. And I've asked people, what do you think is the most quoted Bible verse in history? In other words, which one do people hear the most? And typically, these are the, the, the verses that at least people suggested. These are the verses that are memorized the most. Okay, so what I'm going to do on this show is I'm going to I'm going to go down a list of some of the suggestions that I have heard and some of the suggestions that you provided. And we're going to take a look at which one is the most quoted Bible verse in history. So pause just for a moment. If you if you haven't thought about this, just think for a second. What do you think it is? What have you heard from people? What's been quoted to you? What comes to mind? I mean, something should come to mind, right? We're Christians. We are disciples of the Lord. We study the Bible, the Great Adventure Bible, hopefully. That's a good one to study. But which which verse stands out as the number one verse? Well, you know, I have a life verse, which is Galatians 2.20, that I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. That might not be the most quoted verse in the history of the world, but that's one of the most quoted for me because that was a life verse for me. And that means that at one point, and I remember very well where it was, I was driving from Florida back up to Iowa. I think I was 21 years old at the time, a couple of years ago. And uh, that verse, I was reading that verse in Galatians, and I'm telling you what, it just leapt off the page, and it grabbed me, and I was like, whoa, whoa. And I kid you not, I spent the rest of that trip memorizing that verse. I memorized it within probably 
half an hour or so. I had it completely memorized. But then I kept on memorizing it on that trip, and it has become my life verse. And so for me, that's a, a well-worn verse. But more importantly than that, I hope it's a well-lived verse. Because there are a lot of well-worn verses out there, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are well-lived verses. So what did you come up with? Think about it. We'll go through this list, shall we? Let me go through with you some of the uh, some of the finalists, and then we'll end with the number one Bible verse quoted in history. And I don't think it's going to be one that you thought of. That's just my guess. Okay, so we have number number ten. We have Galatians five twenty two, which says, "But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness." It's a good verse, isn't it? There aren't any bad verses, to be honest with you. They're all written by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so they're all good. But uh, this is a verse, uh, Galatians 5.22, that has been quoted for years and years. People quote this all the time. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. And we can learn much from that. In fact, all of these top nine are verses that we can learn an awful lot from. And, And any one of them could have become your life verse because they're they're just so to the point and practical, and and they really speak to the needs in our life today. And um, and if if the number one verse that I'm going to get to isn't the one that you're going to commit to memory, maybe one of these other nine would be, like Galatians 5:20. So after Galatians 5:20, one of the most popular verses quoted in history is Proverbs 3:6. Proverbs 3:6 says, "In all your ways." Acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. That's a good one. That's a top tenor right there. I'm telling you, Proverbs 3, 6, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Not a bad one to memorize, particularly in the times that we're living in today. We need to have our paths made straight, don't we? And we do that by doing what? Acknowledging him in all of our ways. I'll call that a good COVID verse <laughs> for people who are struggling right now. Last week, we were talking about uh, different issues that, that parishes need to really address and talk about. And uh, boy, this is at the center of that, isn't it? We need to acknowledge God in all of our ways. So we've got Galatians 5.22. We've got Proverbs 3.6. Number eight, John 14.6. John 14.6 says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a good one. You might pick that one. That really spells it out, doesn't it? That's that's the truth, folks. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you believe it? Is it a good suggestion? Is it an option? No. (laughs) It's one of the top 10 verses. And it's truth. Number seven, Jeremiah 29.11. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the... Oh, I like this one. You know what? This is a good one. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That should be a well-quoted verse, right? Uh, We were talking last week about the two things that, that people really are looking for, and they're looking for a bright future and someone to trust and here, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. That's that future thing. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. 
Not a bad deal. Okay, number six is Philippians 4.13. By the way, all of these are going to be in the show notes. I forgot to tell you that. All you got to do to get the show notes is text my name, Jeff Cavins, one word, and text it to 33777, and I'll get these to you. They'll be in your uh, in your inbox just like that. So Philippians 4.13, I can, uh, this is so good. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That's a good one, Philippians 4.13. Here's another one for you. This is number five, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, while that sounds like a simple verse, and you say, really, is that one of the most quoted verses? Well, it is according to the research I did. I went online. I just looked and looked, and I started putting together this list. And that very first statement of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that's a great way to begin, isn't it? I mean, it's like, uh, okay, the rest are the details. But we started with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And let me make this suggestion to you. Whatever problem you're going through, whatever difficulties you're facing right now, Whatever it is, just pause and say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then work out the details. That's a good one. Number four, Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That's something you can grab a hold of today. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Let me ask you right now in your life, are you leaning to your own understanding? Or are you trusting in the Lord? Your finance, your marriage, your children, your emotions, your health? Are you trusting in the Lord? Are you a, or are you leaning on your own understanding? Number three, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, that's a very popular verse. And then after that, I'm going to give you the most quoted verse. There's actually two left. And I'm going to give you those two, including the number one, right after this. You're listening to The Jeff Caven Show. What if you could see that the infinite God is present in your life? What if it was as simple as stopping, opening your heart, and allowing yourself to be found? I'm Danielle Bean, an author, speaker, and host of The Girlfriends Podcast. In my new book, Whisper, Finding God in the Everyday, I share wisdom from the saints, real-life experiences, and prayer practices that help you to see, know, and grow closer to God in your everyday life, no matter how busy you are. If you've ever been inspired by stories of great saints but wondered where that leaves the rest of us, this book is for you. In it, we explore how we meet God in joy, pain, other people, prayer, and in the awesome gift of the sacraments. Join me on this journey of letting go, being still, and allowing God to meet us right here, right now, right where we are. Order your copy of Whisper, Finding God in the Everyday at ascensionpress.com. I left you hanging there for a minute, didn't I? You're thinking, I know what it is, Jeff. You say you got two of them left. I know what it is. Let me tell you the runner-up. The runner-up for the most quoted Bible verse in history is... John 3.16. I got you there. I knew it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Oh, you know the verse, don't you? Don't we call that, uh, that whoever trusts in him will live everlasting life, right? Yet that particular verse, John 3.16, that is called the home plate verse. Because in watching baseball, 
Someone is always there with a sign, John 3.16. And John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that is almost the most quoted verse in the world. Drum roll, please, for number one. The number one most quoted Bible verse in history is Luke 22.19. And you know what it says? Luke 22.19, and Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, here it is, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I kind of fooled you there, didn't I? But you know what? I'm right. It's the number one quoted Bible verse in history. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When do we hear that? We hear it every single mass. The priest says this every single day around the world, and we're talking about every mass, every church, every county, every state, every country, all over the world, every day, 365 days a year. Isn't that incredible? The priest uses that, that, that scripture and quotes that scripture coming from the Lord. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And it is referred to by the deacons and Eucharistic ministers who all say it hundreds of times in every single Mass. The body of Christ. So by inference, we have it, but just plain quoting it, it is mega thousands of times every single day throughout history, Luke twenty two nineteen, is quoted. The priest says it every day. And it was at the Last Supper, right? When Jesus took the bread and wine, he declared them to be what? A symbol? No, not a symbol. He declared them to be his body and blood. And he shared this with his disciples, and he instructed them to do this in memory of me. And so the most quoted verse in history is firmly resting in the liturgy of the Catholic Church. Isn't that amazing? And it really is the heart of our faith. No wonder it's the most quoted verse in history. It is the very heart. It's the source and summit of our faith, the Eucharist. So when we think of a memorial, do this in memory of me, we normally think of kind of like remembering an event or remembering a person in terms of thinking back to what they said or, or what they did. We might have pictures, holy cards, homilies, books, and we call to mind what? The former things. But does the Mass merely call to mind the former things? Does the Mass merely call to mind the Last Supper? No, not at all. The holy sacrifice of the Mass is a memorial, and the Mass does more than call to mind the Paschal Mystery, the Passion, the Death, and Resurrection of Christ. We enter it. We are there. It's happening by the power of a sacrament. And if the Mass were, were only a memorial— in the way that we normally think of remembering some sort of tremendous play or something like that from the past, well, then we would do, we, what would we do? Well, we would get up and we would act it out and we would talk about how it's a great idea. Maybe Oberammergau, right? We're going to put on a passion play. That's a way of remembering this Last Supper. But instead, what does the church do? The church has passed down a, a ritualized liturgical celebration 
that has been organically developed under the guidance of the Holy Spirit all throughout these centuries. To understand what the church means when she refers to the Holy Mass as a memorial of the sacrifice of Christ, we have to understand the scriptural understanding of this word. And the Catechism really gives us the insight here in paragraph 1363. I'll put that in the show notes for you, too. It says, In the sense of sacred scripture, the memorial is not merely the recollection of past events, but the proclamation of the mighty works wrought by God for men. Listen to this. In the liturgical celebration of these events, they become in a certain way present and real. This is how Israel understands its liberation from Egypt. Every time Passover is celebrated, the Exodus events are made present to the memory of believers so that they may conform their lives to them. So you see, in the Jewish community today, they rem- how do they remember the Passover? Maybe you've been to a Pesach a dinner. How do they do it? They enter into the story. They're telling the story as if they were there. And so how do we memorialize the sacrifice of the Lord at the cross? We're there through the sacrament of the Eucharist, the Holy Mass. We are there. So the Catechism explains that when the Church celebrates the Eucharist, and this is in paragraph, the next paragraph, 1364, I'll stick it in free. When the Church celebrates the Eucharist, she commemorates Christ's Passover, and it is made present. The sacrifice of Christ, offered once for all on the cross, remains ever present. And then it goes on in the next paragraph. The Catechism speaks of the Eucharist as the sacrificial memorial of Christ and explains that the Mass is a sacrifice because it is the memorial of Christ's Passover. Now, that's powerful, my friends. That is powerful. In a nutshell, we believe that in the Mass, when the priest says the words of institution, this is my body, when the, pri- when the, mass, when, when the priest quotes Luke twenty two nineteen. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We believe that the greatest miracle on this side of heaven and in heaven takes place, and that is that bread becomes the body of Christ, and wine becomes the blood of Christ. We call that, in theological terms, transubstantiation. Say it with me once, just in the car there. Transubstantiation. Walking with me, say it. Transubstantiation. Now, that's different than denominations who teach something else. Consubstantiation. And that is that God is somehow with the bread, with the wine. That's not what the church teaches, and that's not what the church has taught from the beginning. They taught that the, the bread and the wine become totally the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ. That's Catholic teaching. That's biblical teaching. And yet, over 70% of Catholics don't believe that today. Over 70% of Catholics don't believe in the most quoted verse in history. We got some teaching to do, don't we? We Share with your friends this, will you? Just send it on to people and say, you know what? This is what we believe. We really do. It is the memorial of the crucifixion and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus said, this is my body, 
and my blood. Do this in remembrance of me, affirming the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Now, knowing that, and we've discovered now what is the number one quoted Bible verse in history, and I gave you 10 other ones who are all really, really good, but this is the number one. I would encourage you to first allow yourself to be united to the offering of his sacrifice. Be united to his offering as you enter into the holy sacrifice of the Mass. You want to unite yourself to him. You died with him. You rose with him. You bring your sufferings to the cross. They are transformed into powerful, transformative power. Your suffering can change. Next, believe the Eucharist is what Jesus says it is. It's the real presence of Christ. It is his holy body and holy blood, soul, and divinity. And third, focus on the covenant that God has made with you when you hear those words. God is not just making an agreement. God is not making a suggestion. He doesn't have a self-help plan. It's not all about you. But it is a covenant that God is making with you, and it is cut in the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Number four, make, make your own offering in union with Jesus so that, so that you may take it to the Father. That's right. When the priest has the host, which is hostia, means victim, the host is raised on the paten. Your sufferings should be there. Your struggles should be there. You should offer yourself in union with Christ. And as Bishop Bruskowitz once said, this is the great exchange. The great exchange centers around Luke twenty-two nineteen. That is, you're giving him your suffering and he's doing something with it. And number five, live the rest of your life knowing that Jesus is in you to do his work, to transform you, to empower you by the Holy Spirit, which you received in abundance of confirmation. You see, the, the most quoted verse in history is, I would say, the most beneficial verse in history. That is that God has made a covenant with you. He has come inside of you. The bride, the bride has been receiving now the bridegroom who comes into us and shares his very life with us. This goes beyond motivational speakers who are giving you good ideas. This goes beyond a great adventure type of movie, you know, the Iliad and the Odyssey where we're inspired in great ways. This goes beyond all of that. This is beyond a guru helping you become you. This is God coming inside of you and giving you his divinity. Man. I bet you didn't think that was the number one quoted Bible verse in history. But you know what we can do going forward from today? We can really grab a hold of that number one verse, Luke twenty-two nineteen. I'll read it again. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We can embrace that, but I do encourage you to take the list I have in the show notes of the other ten often quoted verses, and start memorizing them. Make them yours. Pass them on to your children and quote them. Learn to memorize them. If you say, I can't memorize anything, then don't memorize. Just remember. <laughs> I think that word memorize kind of trips us up, doesn't it? But you really get to know these verses. But number one, Luke twenty-two nineteen, And finally, I would say this. If you want to share the faith 
with your Protestant friends, if you want to share the faith with uh, those family members who are not in communion with the church, I might suggest having a discussion about the most quoted Bible verse in the Bible. What do you think? If you ask them what's the most quoted verse in the Bible, I'll guarantee it, two donuts to nothing, it's going to be John 3.16. That's what they're going to say. But we know what is the most quoted verse. It deals with the holy sacrifice of the Mass, the very source and summit of our faith. Well, this has been good talking to you today, and it's, uh, it's encouraging and inspiring to me. I mean, just not because of what that I said it, but because of these verses are so rich. And then realizing the one that's quoted thousands upon thousands upon thousands of times every day, day in and day out, never take a break. That is, that is very inspiring to me. And so this Sunday, or if you go to Mass every day, this Sunday, or when the next time you the next time you participate in the mass, when you hear Luke twenty two nineteen quoted, just be reminded this is happening thousands upon thousands of times around the world right now. That of all the verses in the Bible, God has brought one verse together here that we say over and over and over. Now I know there's some other scriptures in the mass that are referred to, and but this is the heart of our faith. Hey, my friend, this week, I want you to know I'm praying for you. And I, I, I know that I, I spoke last week about some of the real difficulties that we're facing and the fact that I'd love to share those with you in your parish. Uh, you can go to my website, jeffgavens.com, for both uh, opportunities to interface with your parish, but also the big uh, epic pilgrimage to the Holy Land in June of 2022 with Father Mike Schmitz, myself, and others. Uh, you can find all of that there, but I, I do hope you have a holy week. Remember, as you continue forward this week, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, all right? And that God does have a plan of sheer goodness, and that uh, God has shown you that you can trust him, and God has invited you to be a disciple, meaning you're chosen to become like him, and you can because you'll be with him. And if you're with him, all things are possible. That's my word of encouragement to you this week. It's about as practical as I can get. And the reason is, it's because that's about as deep as I can get. And that's important too. So my friend, let me pray for you. And I'm going to lift up uh, all of the needs in your life right now and, and uh, all of the, the difficulties that you're facing and the joys that you're celebrating. Let's lift it all up to the Lord right now. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Lord, we lift up to you all that is going on in the lives of, of my friend. And I pray, Lord, that you will, will surround them with your peace, your love. They are not alone. Lord, we give you our suffering and ask you to transform it and use it in any way that you see fit. We know that you are with us. You will not forsake us. Lord, you are worthy of all praise and honor. We take a moment just to praise you today. You're the creator of the universe. All wisdom is with you. You are altogether lovely. You are altogether different and other. You are the great I am, and we worship you today. We worship you today on the way to work, on the way home from work, during our downtime. We worship you and give you glory. We put everything else to the side and say, you are Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I love you, my friend. Pray for me. I'll continue to pray for you this week. 
and look forward to being with you next week. God bless. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy, converting the culture to Christ through radio, featuring 100% Catholic programming 24-7. Do your friends a favor. Tell them about Catholic Radio Indy. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. Our next serving comes once again from Ascension Press. This is an episode of Father Mike Schmidt's Catholic Podcast asking the question, Is Holy Communion a Rite? Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz, and this is Ascension Presents. Last week, we put out a video that talked about um, how we have to be prepared to receive Holy Communion, that, that there's actually some things that can prohibit us from receiving Holy Communion. In fact, if we're aware of mortal sin, if we're standing outside the church, if we're like in, not living a congruent life with Christianity, uh, if we're not a pra- another way to say it is if we're not a practicing Catholic, if I'm aware of mortal sin and I have not yet gone to confession. Another way to say it, another one, I didn't even mention this, but if I've not fasted an hour before Holy Communion, I can't receive Holy Communion. I mean, that's another one. That's not a mortal sin. That's why sometimes people will say like, well, you know, Father, I want to go up and receive a blessing, but everyone's going to think that I committed a mortal sin. Well, A, that's their problem because they shouldn't be watching and they shouldn't be making conclusions, drawing conclusions. B, it also could just be that you accidentally bit into a cookie before you went to Mass, right? Ultimately, what it comes down to, when it comes to the mortal sin thing, where I'm standing outside the church, I'm living a life in opposition to the Lord, um, that I need to go to confession. I need to repent before receiving Holy Communion. So we already said that. We talked about that. It was a longish video, but here we are because I want to clarify some things. I was talking with a parent about this topic uh, before the video even came out. And at one point they said that, you know, their adult child, their grown child had said, you know, because they had told their, their child, you know, you need to go to confession. Um, if you haven't, haven't been a practicing Catholic, you need to go to confession before you receive Holy Communion. Um, because as the Lord himself, well, as God's word speaks through St. Paul, if you don't, you're guilty of murder of Jesus. Okay, so, and this young man said, um, oh, so you're saying the church doesn't want me. Oh, so I get it. There's, I'm not welcome in the church. The church doesn't want me. And I had to, um, even as this parent was relating this to me, I had to like push down some of the emotions. I'm not a very, I don't think I'm very hot-headed. And I had to like, mm-mm, nope. And I was like, that is, mm, that is, and I was just like, are you kidding me? I'm not welcome because the church actually has standards. I'm not welcome because Jesus himself, what does Jesus say? Jesus is, he's not welcome. He's not just welcome for everybody. He, he invites people. He says, come follow me. But keep in mind, when it came to following Jesus, there were conditions. In fact, the Gospels have this, conditions for discipleship. If you want to be my disciple, says the Lord, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. That it's not just do whatever you want, think whatever you want, act however you want, and then we're fine. We're all good. And there, of course, we have to understand this, right? So every single one of us, and this is not one particular sin, this is not one particular way that we, we, we fail to follow the Lord, this is every single one of us is in need of repentance, right? Every one of us, including the person talking to you right now, is in need of saying, okay, Lord, what parts of my life are, are what I want to do? And they're not conforming to your will. We have the online masses, right, on this platform, Ascension Presents. Um, and so there's a homily on the online masses, but I also do a podcast of the homilies, and that's at like UMD Newman, I think, on Spotify and uh, iTunes and all that stuff. One of the points I was making was, it's Ephesians chapter 5, and it's, you know, it talks about how St. Paul says, 
Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it says, wives submit to your husbands. Husbands love your wives. Right, everyone's favorite reading. Surrender to each other. Basically, marriage in, in St. Paul's view should be a race to see who can submit to the other. That husbands, submit to your wives. Surrender to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands. It should be a race to submit, a race to surrender. Now, how good of a spouse would you be, would one be, if they said, oh, no, no, of course, I, I surrender to my, my spouse all the time. Like whenever they want me to do something that I was already planning on doing, I will do it right away. <laughs> like, you know, right, that doesn't make any sense. Every time, oh man, I, I complete, I race to submit to my spouse. Um, whenever they ask me to do something that I was already planning on doing, I do it so fast. We realize that's, that's not the same thing, right? We realize that that is completely different. But that's how many of us approach our faith. We say that, yeah, as long as I already agree with Christ's teachings, we're good. As long as I already agree with the church's teachings, then I have no problem with that whatsoever. As long as it was something I was already planning on doing, I have faith. But that's not what it is to have faith. That's just <laughs> trying to find like a, a spiritual reason to do what I was already going to do. Faith, is, faith really comes into play when? Faith comes into play when I actually have to do what St. What Saint Jesus, what Jesus said to do, which is to deny myself, pick up my cross and follow after him, to say, actually, I'm not going to do what I wanted to do because, Lord, your word trumps my will. Father in heaven, your will trumps my will. Even Jesus prays this in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, you know, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. So, so we realize this, right? So I'm not welcome in the church. Yes, you are. But you and I both, we all have to repent and go to confession in order to be reconciled with the Lord and with the church in order to receive Holy Communion. So someone could go on and say, well, why do I need to go to confession for that? You know, like I can have mortal sin and still go to Mass and still receive Holy Communion. A, you can go to Mass, please do. But B, not receive Holy Communion. Why? Because here is, you realize that the moment of receiving Holy Communion is a moment of intimacy, right? It's a moment where here is God who gives him us his very body and blood. It, I, I don't want to be too graphic here, but it is a moment that's akin to the most intimate moment in a couple's marriage relationship, right? So we recognize that, that here is uh, this, the sexual embrace. The most intimate moment where the husband says to the wife, this is my body, and the wife says to the husband, and this is my body given for you. At the Mass, at Holy Communion, that is what's happening. Now, how healthy would it be if this husband and wife had a rift, right? That the husband was living as if he wasn't really married, as the wife, if the wife was living as if she wasn't really married, if they had some kind of uh, division between the two of them, but they simply said, well, you know what, we're married, so let's enter the sexual embrace without any reconciliation first. We'd realize that that's not, that's not gonna help anything. Like, that's actually going to hurt things, because why? Because we're simply in this moment, we're willing to use each other in this moment of intimacy. And so this moment of intimacy becomes a moment of devastation, right? This moment of intimacy becomes a moment of division and another bus just brought by to interrupt this incredible deep moment I'm trying to make. This moment of intimacy is interrupted and it's not just interrupted, it's distorted and becomes a moment of division. And the same thing happens if I'm not reconciled to the Lord and to the church before receiving Holy Communion. Last thing. You know that the priests, priests have been given this uh, ministry of reconciliation, St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians. We know that Jesus also said, um, 
to the apostles, he says, those who sinned, he, he breathes on them in John chapter 20, he says, I breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Those whose sins you forgive are forgiven them. Those whose sins you hold bound are held bound. And so this is a question some people have asked me. They've said, Father, have you ever had to hold bound? Have you ever had to like, someone's gone to confession, you haven't forgiven their sins? Um, because that's part of the job. That's I, part of the ministry God has, Christ has given to his priests. Those whose sins you forgive are forgiven. Those whose sins you hold bound are held bound. I'm not going to judge people's hearts, but we must judge people's actions in certain situations. Certain situations we'd say, nope, I don't have to judge. I don't even have to get involved. But if someone's coming to me for confession and they're living a life contrary to the Lord and they're not intending to change, then basically it's saying, hey, can I come back without really coming back? The example is, I remember there was a couple times, and it's almost always the same thing, um, talking to a young man. This wasn't actually in confession. We were getting prepped for confession. He wanted to go to confession for a number of things that he really genuinely felt bad about, badly about. It's an adverb. It modifies the verb to feel. Anyways, but he was living with his girlfriend, and he had no intention of moving out. He had no intention of, of even beginning to kind of live as brother and sister and then to find their own places eventually. There's no intention whatsoever. He's like, no, I'm going to go back to live with her. And so I'm like, I, I'm so sorry. I tried to convince him, like try to be like, okay, but this is part of what conversion is. I can't say, God, I only want to forgive these sins, but I'm going to continue living in these other sins. And it was, I, you guys, it was one of the, one of the most difficult moments for me as a priest. Like I've been with people as they're dying. I've been with people in the midst of grief. They've lost, lost their loved ones. I, I mean, just, it, there've been a lot of difficult moments in my, my life as a priest. These times when I have to say to someone who wants to be reconciled for some, th some things but is not willing to let everything go, not willing to actually repent, I would say is the hardest, the worst, more, worst moments of being a priest. Because I want to be what St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, a minister of reconciliation, but if someone doesn't want to come home, I can't make them come home. And so when it comes to like denying communion, when it comes to denying confession, I don't, think, I don't think anybody would ever take joy in it, but at the same time, it's part of the role that Christ entrusted to his priests. Again, not to judge hearts, but to judge um, actions, to assess actions, we'll say that, and to be able to say, um, I forgive you in the name of Christ, or in the name of Christ, go and convert, repent, and then come, come home. And that's what I got today and I hope it makes sense and I hope that you recognize like just the, that heart of the Father who wants all of us to come to him. But if we're going to come to him, we actually have to do what he's asked us to do. As Jesus said, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him. Which means all of us have to surrender and say, God, not my will, your will be done. Anyways, that's what I got from all of us here to present. My name is Father Mike. God bless. You're listening to the Lunchtime Podcast Sampler on Catholic Radio Indy. Staying with offerings from Ascension Press, this is an episode of The Tightrope, Reflections for Busy Catholics, Finding Joy in a Pandemic. The Lord is near. Have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Hi, I'm Colin, and welcome to The Tightrope, the podcast where we look for balance and clarity in the midst of the world that we live in. I doubt that any short podcast is going to give you that balance and clarity to last forever and ever. The simple hope is that each week we can help you to take a step forward. A couple of words this week, probably not the first words that you were thinking of in the midst of the year 2020, but joy and rejoice. 
And I'll tell you why those words have been kind of marinating in my mind and my heart. It's in part because campus life right now at an all-girls Catholic high school is is pretty difficult. Um, it's it's just different in 2020 to be in a brick-and-mortar school. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're right back there opening up or you're prepared to or you're trying to. But there's masks, there's social distancing, so I'll set up the scene of my Monday morning. I've arrived on campus after masking up my children and delivering them to to their school, and Amy and I have scurried back to our morning responsibilities. I pick up a thermal scanning thermometer, whereby which I'm going to check the temperatures of girls uh, as they enter into a building wearing masks. It kind of feels a little bit like a zombie movie, like we're going to thermal check you, make sure that you're not a zombie and let you in. Um, and of course, it's a Monday morning and girls are arriving to campus uh, in the midst of a very just different kind of mode of school. So the thermometer gets in my hand and an instinct kicks in. And I'm not sure if it was a youth minister instinct or more of a dad joke instinct. But to the first girl, I said, odds are evens. <laughs> and she, she looked at me a little strangely and then said, uh, evens. And, uh, and it was, it was 97.2. And I was like, congratulations. All right. You got an even note. And then I just continued with that odds or evens. And it added about 0.5 seconds to every temperature that had to be taken. Cause it takes a couple of minutes or a couple of seconds for the thing to heat up and decide, uh, what your temperature is. And, um, I don't know, it added a little bit of levity to the, to the moment. It certainly uh, put a little pep in my step and hopefully for a lot of the girls, even if it caused them to roll their eyes and just affirm for them up, Mr. McIver still has incurable dad jokiness going on. Um, it reminded me how important it is to, to have a little bit of, of joy and, and rejoicing in the midst of things. Of course, that was um, not an example of like, you know, joy in the depth of one's heart. Um, that was just an example of trying to bring a little bit of levity to the situation. But Philippians 4.4 is a scripture that I started to, to think about after that moment and that I've been trying to think about all week. St. Paul tells us, rejoice in the Lord always even in 2020, especially in the year 2020, I say it again, rejoice. Your kindness should be known to all. The Lord is near. Have no anxiety at all, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I wanted to share that scripture with you because it was in interiorly, uh, perhaps by the Holy Spirit, shared with me uh, a reminder that it's really important for us to rejoice in all things and in all circumstances, to clear our minds and hearts of anxiety, and to know that the Lord is near in a couple of ways. I, I don't necessarily, I'm not saying like the world is going to end next Tuesday, um, although would we be surprised? Um, I don't know. But it means that the Lord is near to you right now. He's, he's close to you in your mind and your heart, and that's why you can always rejoice, because in your sufferings, he's close. In the difficulties that, that surround us right now, the Lord is close. That has not changed. And as the exterior world is, is perhaps strange to us, it's strange on, on a campus where we've come back masked. I know there are some out there who've returned to a brick and mortar situation of work to an office and it's different than it was when you started to work remotely. Um, for, for many of us all along, you've been wearing a mask and working. Um, for, for some of us, we're, we're getting fatigued of the perpetual Zoom meetings. 
but we can still rejoice in the midst of this situation that we find ourselves in and know that the mind and heart of God were not taken by surprise by the things that have taken us by surprise. And the plan of salvation that was laid out for all of us from the dawn of, of history has not been thwarted by, um, by this virus or by anything else that, that's happening. Because as Paul says in another letter in Romans chapter 8, what's going to separate us from the love of Christ or death or the sword or, or nakedness or powers or principalities? None of that. None of that. And I just needed to be reminded of it. And I figured there probably are some people out there who could use a little reminder. So whenever you listen to this podcast, rejoice. It doesn't necessarily have to look like a plastic smile. And if there is pain in your heart, that rejoicing and that pain can coexist. I was pointing out to my confirmation candidates a couple of weeks ago how helpful for me the movie Inside Out was. If you've never seen Inside Out, kind of the point is when we come to maturity, we realize that the joy and sadness and joy and many other uh, of interior realities can, can coexist. And so whatever joy looks like for you, rejoice, even if that, that joy is in the midst of a, a little more of a... Um, a sober spirit. There's, there's sober joy. Um, find it today. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to give you joy in your circumstance, the kind of joy that results. And the next thing that Paul tells us in Philippians, your kindness should be known to all because when we have joy in our hearts, the way that we greet others is with kindness and understanding. And boy, do we need a whole lot of that in 2020 and we'll need it in 2021 and beyond until Jesus gets back whenever that happens. So that's the thought for the week. Rejoice. Find a way to rejoice. Find a way to be kind to others um, because there's still a cause for rejoicing no matter what you've undergone. The Lord is near and uh, he's not going anywhere. For Ascension, I'm Colin McIver reminding you to rejoice and take a step forward. And our last offering today on The Sampler is from Scott Hahn's podcast series, The Road to Emmaus. This is Finding Mary's Assumption in the Bible. I remember the first feast of the Assumption of Mary that I ever experienced uh, over a quarter of a century ago. Uh, the night before, I was uh, with a friend of mine named Bill, who was still a, a Protestant, a Baptist, and really disturbed that I had become a Catholic, and so he brought up the subject of the Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, the Assumption in particular. And so I began to share with him what I had found in the Bible and what I'd found in the Fathers. And it wasn't proof texting, you know. The church never just simply goes to a text and says, that's the proof. It always reads the scripture text. So you're looking at the new in light of the old and the old in light of the new. And so I introduced that interpretive principle to Bill and said, so if you look at the old in light of the new and the new in light of the old, you can see how Jesus himself is presented as a new, uh, going back to creation. And you can see him as a new Moses going back to the Exodus, bringing about a new Passover. You can see that he's a new Solomon, the son of David, bringing about a new Jerusalem and the kingdom. And then I pointed out that back in creation, it wasn't just Adam, it was also Back at the time of the Exodus, it wasn't just Moses, it was the Ark of the Covenant as the sign of God's presence. And likewise, at the time of David's kingdom, it wasn't just Solomon you see in 1 Kings 2, verse 19. It was the queen mother enthroned at the king's right hand. 
And so I began to unpack all of this in terms of how the New Testament develops it. So for example, you go to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, and there even Protestant biblical scholars acknowledge that Luke is presenting the, the, uh, the visitation in terms of Mary is coming to the Judean hill country precisely as the Ark of the Covenant was brought up from the Judean hill country in 1 Chronicles 15. And you can hear the language that Luke is in use to show that Mary is the Ark of the New Covenant, containing the Word of God not in stone like the Ark of the Old, but the Word made flesh, you know, containing the hidden manna, but this is the true manna. And so I, I was trying to explain all of this and in the, uh, the New Testament book of Revelation, chapter 11, verse 19, you know, John describes this vision that he has of uh, the, the temple up in heaven being opened and the Ark of the Covenant being seen. And of course, on missing for nearly five centuries. And so for John to tell his readers that he saw the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God's Covenant in the temple of heaven, this would have been delightful and shocking news. But instead of going on to describe a box gold containing, you know, the stone tablets of God's word or the hidden manna, he goes on in the next verse or two to describe a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, crowned with 12 stars. And I suspect that John's readers would have said, you know, ark, we haven't seen it in hundreds of years. But instead, you know, he is describing this woman. And, you know, at first glance, you might say, well, he's just changed the subject in a somewhat unexpected way. But, of course, he's not describing the Ark of the Old Covenant. He's describing the Ark of the New Covenant in the heavenly Jerusalem. So he really didn't shift subjects when he said, I saw the Ark of God's Covenant in heaven. And then a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, crowned with 12 stars, giving birth to rule the nations. In my conversation with Bill, I showed him how there were multiple layers of the Old Testament typology, that you have a kind of new creation because she is the woman of Genesis 3.15, clothed with the sun. You also have a, a new Exodus image there too, because you've got the Ark of the Covenant. But you've also got the new kingdom imagery because not only is she giving birth to the male child destined to rule the nations with a rod of iron straight from the Davidic covenant in Psalm 2, Davidic king, but you also have the queen mother, you know, giving birth to the, the, to the royal child, as it were. And so if you can see how all three are, in a certain sense, converging, how all three are sort of coordinated, you can that the New Testament reading of the fulfillment by Christ of the old involves Mary, who is the new Eve, who is the Ark of the New Covenant, who is, in a way, the, the Queen Mother as well. And uh, he was, you know, he was in argument, you know, but he wasn't bowled over. Well, the next morning, I, I realized it was August 15th, and so I asked Bill, you know, where is there a parish in town? I've got to get to church. This is a holy day of obligation. And he, he mentioned that the only parish he knew of was Arlington, which was music to my ears, you know. So I asked him for directions, and it got more complicated. He said, look, I'll just drive you. And so he did. And in fact, at the last minute, he decided to come in and experience the Mass for the very first time in his life. And what was so surprising, and to me, was that the first reading was taken from the Old Testament, of course. Uh, it was dealing with David carrying the Ark of the Covenant up into the royal capital of the earthly Jerusalem. And then you have a psalm, Psalm 132. 
that celebrates the Ark of the Covenant being carried by David up into the royal capital, the early Jerusalem. In fact, it's the only psalm devoted to the Ark of the Covenant. And then the New Testament reading from Revelation 11 and 12 identifies the Ark of the New Covenant, a woman who is now being taken up into the heavenly Jerusalem. And then we all stood for the gospel. And sure enough, it was the visitation of Our Lady to Elizabeth in the Judean hill country. At that point, when I sit down, he stuck me in the side with his elbow and said, you happened to arrange those readings? You know, because he and I both realized these corresponded exactly to the readings that I had been arguing from the night before, but I had always received this sort of, you know, by my own study of scripture through the filtering of the Father. I, I, I leaned over, I was tempted to say, yeah, the Pope calls a convert and he gets to choose the readings. But I said, no, frankly, Bill, I had no idea. This is the first time I've ever gone to the Mass of the Feast of the Assumption of Mary. And you could see he wasn't convinced. He was about that. But I just sat there, quite frankly, marveling at the fact that what had taken me literally years of study to discover, that the Blessed Virgin Mary is the new Eve, who is an instrument of God to bring about the new creation with Jesus, which, by the way, is alluded to in the reading from 1 Corinthians 15 that we'll hear this year for the Feast of the Assumption. You know, but she's not just the new Eve, she's also the Ark of the New Covenant, and thus the instrument of God to help the new Moses bring about a whole new exodus through the new Passover as the Lamb. But perhaps most spectacularly, she is the Queen Mother of the Son of David, who's not taken up as the Ark was into the earthly capital of the, of, of, of the Davidic kingdom, but into the heavenly city. And I think it's just beautiful to recognize that you don't need to have a PhD. You don't need to spend years studying the fathers. You don't need to get involved in all this sort of biblical argumentation with your non-Catholic. If you just show up to Mass and you have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, you're going to discover how it is the fathers found all of this and how it is that Mother Church communicates it to all of her sons and daughters, even still, 2,000 years after the of the Assumption of Mary. But I, I, I really want to just express my gratitude to our Lord, not only for the spectacular grace conferred upon her, taking her up, as it were, but also the spectacular grace conferred upon us through the church, especially when we read the Bible from the heart of the church, we're going to see that the fulfillment of the old by Christ in the new wasn't just exclusively reserved for him. It was extended to all of us, especially in and through the Blessed Virgin. So pay close attention uh, at, to the readings of sacred scripture uh, this feast day, and I think you're in for a great banquet. And that wraps up this episode of the Lunchtime Podcast Sampler on Catholic Radio Indy. You can find this podcast with links to the programs we shared at catholicradioindy.org. I'm Kent Plantford, and until next time, thanks for listening, and God bless. Did you miss something in this show or just want to hear it again? Podcasts of this and all our other great local programs are available 24-7 at catholicradioindy.org.